0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Microsoft Surface Pro 8
1: has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet all in one. It has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that could even store your Surface Pen. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash
0: Surface Pro 8. My yeah. The <laughs> Michael Irvin podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? you oh. oh, 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 start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin podcast we'll give you the full mip experience i'm talking everything from football to fashion i will be chopping it up with playmakers headline makers and i am throwing haymakers i'm the mvp of the mip don't miss it
1: download new episodes of the mip the michael irvin podcast every thursday on apple Podcasts, podcast one
0: and spotify
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Dan Feldman of NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, a great person to talk with, with everything that's going on, especially the, the coming off-season and draft, and one of our compatriots for the mock-off season with Dunked on, which is coming soon-ish. Um, But So we had a great conversation, I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's funny, uh you and I have both spent a lot of time thinking and kind of framing this coming off season. And for me it's sort of impossible to frame it without twenty twenty one, just be I mean, yeah, you have COVID and everything else that's going on, but just because A lot of the big decisions that have to be made this year, really, you know, it's it's because of the ripple effects next year with this loaded free agency class that's coming and hopefully more financial certainty for the league, whatever that certainty ends up being. And I was wondering if you're having the same problem.
0: Um, I don't know. It's not that long ago that we had free agent classes that just weren't that big of a deal. I mean, this one is the first one in a while, but it's it's not that rare. Like we are kind of in this era where the the cap has increased so much year over year, not every single year, but enough years where this feels very strange, but it's happened plenty of times before.
1: Yeah. And it's also what happens when guys start taking slightly longer contracts again. And you just, it's just the sequencing of, of how the, of how things can happen. And so, you know, the, you know, there isn't a Kawhi or Giannis or anything in this class. There are a lot of big decisions to make, but Kind of on that 2021 idea, something that I've been working on a piece for The Athletic that's not yet out. It'll probably come out next week, assuming I can get my brain around it right, which is basically what I'm kind of getting at for, let's say I'll use a team like Dallas, is trying to reconcile optimism, pessimism, and realism when it comes to 2021. So Dallas... They can, they don't have really more than the middle level exception to use this year, but spending it on a multi-season contract makes it harder for them to make a big splash in 21. And so what I've been kind of the way that I've been thinking about it is, well, if you are a Dallas optimist, you're like, well, we don't want to make it harder for ourselves to get somebody great if somebody great wants to come. But spending that money and getting – let's say getting somebody good could also make you better and then make it more likely that somebody would actually be interested in joining you.
0: Now, you don't want to become too good because look at the backlash Kevin Durant got for going to the Warriors. You got to be careful. You don't want to be too good right the year before. The team that hits the absolute sweet spot is the Heat, right? They had their good run in the right year. Maybe they take a small step back next year. Maybe that makes them even more appealing to free agents because they've already made the strong impression.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's also, I mean, so it's an interesting question of kind of where where it goes from here because of Durant because, yes, he did face this backlash, but he also, to an extent, got what he wanted out of it. And as long as you're okay with that backlash, as long as you can deal with it, I mean, he got two championships, now he, you know, and uh, unfortunately, the Achilles injury happened, um, and we lost last year, and that's, I mean, sucks for him in so many ways, but I think that the, the effect of Kevin Durant sort of paralleling, and this makes sense thematically, LeBron in 2010 is that. The, there will always be a degree of rancor and skepticism and all that, and LeBron wiped all of that away by winning in Cleveland and then, of course, I guess, helped it with L.A., not that there was any stuff to do. But also, like I, it, it's not the worst thing in the world because it's not like it's going to be on his
0: Hall of Fame plaque or something. No, uh, but I, I just think for other free agents – you know, going ahead, if they're looking back on the Durant situation, I don't know if that's such a positive model to them because that that backlash was so loud. It, I mean, it was just so universal. And yet Durant experienced the winning, uh, but I'm not sure future free agents are quite going to appreciate that as much uh, because they're not the ones who experienced the bright side. But they darn sure her about the downside of, oh, you know, you took the easy way out and all of that.
1: Well, and the other part that I think could be the cautionary tale from Durant, and um, Ethan sherwood Strauss's book talks about this well, is I think there was a part of Durant, maybe even more than a part, that hoped and expected that the Warriors fan base would embrace him with open arms and i think to an extent they did but what what could i could imagine being frustrating is i mean he was an unbelievable player and was such a huge part of those two championship teams and potentially could have been for a third were it not for the injuries But he wasn't loved the same way that the established guys, the people who were there from when they were drafted, who kind of were a part of building that team from the ashes that they were. And that's something I know a little bit about. Um, and, (laughs) And I think that there was there was definitely a, a sentiment and i think it's well well founded i'm not criticizing Durant for this in the slightest that he wasn't embraced in the same way and it's it's a different kind of thing you know like and I, i'm not saying that the warriors fans were bad about it or that there was any ill will it's just that you know that kind of passion that kind of fandom that kind of love is fundamentally different
0: well, I think that gets back to what I'm saying. The number one reason why that happened is because Steph Curry, especially, but Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, they won a championship before Durant got there. It wasn't just that those guys helped the team gain relevancy, and then Durant put them over the top. They were already at the top, and so that's where I think like you don't want to be too good. Uh, if if a free agent joins Dallas or uh, this version of Miami now, like. I think their fans would generally like view that player, accept that player more so because he's helping putting them over the top. They didn't already have that, you know, elite, elite championship success before.
1: Yeah, I think that that might be the real difference is that, you know, the, the, we did it without you. I kind of, kind of an idea. And yes, Kevin Durant was miles better than Harrison Barnes. And we don't know how that Warriors team would have gone after 73 and nine, if they had largely kept it together, if they would have even done that, which I'm not totally sure of. But it is a, it is a really, a really good point, And that, and that is a difference. And so, you have, but you so you have this group. I mean, it, it's a really fascinating kind of looking looking forward. I've written before about what I call the siren song of twenty twenty one, which is this idea that there is a there is an extremely strong group of free agents, but there is also an extremely strong reason for all of them to stay where they are. And so that isn't it isn't a circumstance like some that we've seen in the past. Though I would say most in this in the modern era aren't really like this, where. It doesn't seem like maybe Dwight Howard in Orlando is an example of that. Or, well, he got traded. Or maybe you could even argue Dwight Howard with the Lakers the first time was one of those where it's like probably doesn't want to stay, but is a really good player. So you you know that like you're it's a narrower field. But like the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, they made it. They each in certain ways made a choice to be there recently. And, I, I mean, you could go through various other members of the, of the, this class, and really, I guess you could make the argument that Giannis, if he ends up being a part of it, if he doesn't extend, is really the only guy who hasn't wielded that sort of control. And so that makes it really hard. But all of those teams have a really good reason to keep their guys. I mean, the Lakers with LeBron is another prototypical example of that.
0: All right. Yes. And I'll just add to that. I think uh, we always overrate future free agent classes. Free agent classes always look better this far out. And then things change, right? It's often the players that people are real excited about, they tend to be older right that's you have to be to be a restrict unrestricted free agent and so there's more uh, they're more prone to dropping off than other players who are going to be unrestricted free agents are from joining that star class some guys sign extensions uh you know some guys come into a situation with, like you're talking about where it's very clear they're gonna stay like if the lakers win a championship next year like lebron's not leaving and uh, I suppose that right now though you could say well you could see a situation where the Lakers fall off and he wants to do something something as narrative I don't know but you can at least imagine him leaving if they win a championship like he's not leaving and, and so things will change free agent classes almost always get worse
1: Yeah it's there there's a kind of a parallel to the idea for me is like there are more reasons that a team can go under their over under projection than they can go <laughs> over it's it's yep. and, and and I mean there's a big parallel between those two and that's injuries and I mean Oladipo is an an amazing example of that i mean Looking back a few years ago, I mean, at first it was like, okay, well, Depot's really overpaid and all that. And then he gets to Indiana and then he has that star turn. Like, oh my God, like, if he doesn't get an extension, he's going to be, could be one of the biggest stars of the 2021 free agent class, not necessarily at the like Paul George LeBron level. And now we're less than a year out and I don't know what
0: to expect. Yeah. I mean, that's a, an especially tough one. I, I don't either. Uh, I mean, he could, he's also fits in the category of he could assign an extension. You know, he could be off the market. It, it wouldn't shock me if he and the Pacers agreed to an extension or he and a different team agree to an extension really
1: yeah and so so that's kind of the other branch of optimism pessimism realism that i think is is really compelling with this class and this is something that i don't know how much we'll deal with it in the mock-off season but it's something you know off season previews the kind of stuff that we both do is i, I like i like thinking about this with those kind of second tier guys like Depot and drew holiday which is the challenge that their front offices face in terms of how to reconcile where they are. And Oladipo in in certain ways is even more complicated because of the equity he has with the franchise and the idea that they didn't get to see their team together at full strength last year because of everything that happened with the Pacers and now they have a new head coach and so yes, if Kevin Pritchard is risk averse and if or if Oladipo has told them something to change the thought process like maybe like hey, for whatever reason, like maybe I'm I'm not planning on it or like I'm straight up I'm not going to resign then maybe you, you go in that direction. But at the same point, it's very it's very easy to say, I want to see how this works. And yes, there's a chance it goes badly and we get nothing for him. But at the same point,
0: it's like you, you kind of want to know. Right. I, I think it's a common mistake that teams make is being risk-averse as if choosing to keep the status quo is not also a choice. Like one way or the other, you're forced into a choice here. You got to make what you think the best one is. Uh you know, Yeah, it's a little riskier to extend him, or I understand that, but keeping him and just hoping for the best, that's also risky. Like, There's no way around it. You're going to have to face some risk here, so you just might as well decide what you think is best. And that's a real tough one to evaluate from outside specifically. I mean, there's always things that we don't know from afar, but in that one, the medical issues, right? I got to imagine the Pacers have a better grasp on that. Ideally for them, they would have a better grasp on what his future plans are, what he wants, like what it would take to keep him to stay. Or I guess if you are the Pacers front office and you don't know what he wants, if he won't tell you, if he won't communicate to you what he wants, uh, that should be telling also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the other huge variable that is sometimes eventually public, but very rarely in the moment, is what kind of offers are you getting? Like Nate and I have gotten into this a fair amount with Oladipo of if you are another team, like we can go go back to the Dallas well, how much are you giving up for a player who, yes, is extension eligible, but then you have to deal with the extended trade rules then? I'm not sure how huge a deal that is for Oladipo in particular. But, you know, like, he, he's an unrestricted agent. He can leave of his own volition, even if you have kind of an understanding of where things are going. But also, if, like, it, again, the idea of optimism. If Dallas thinks they might be in the Giannis Derby, are they really going to give up much of value to get Victor Oladipo now and then ba- and basically just kind of, like, pen largely pen themselves in? Now, they wouldn't necessarily have to if they don't extend him. But who's going to give up a trove for Victor Oladipo or Drew Holiday if they're optimistic that they can get them next year? And maybe maybe that awesome optimism is poorly founded, and maybe some teams aren't optimistic. Maybe we get the Toronto Raptors-Kawhi Leonard situation where it's like, hey, we'd re- get them now and convince them to come rather than hoping and expecting they'll come next year.
0: Well, let's stick with Oladipo for a second before getting to Drew because I, I think he's such an interesting case. Uh, he can sign an extension with the Pacers that would be worth almost 113 million over four years. I guess my two-part question is, you know, if you were the Pacers, would you offer him that much? Uh, for perspective, his max in free unrestricted free agency would be 131 million, so far more than that 113 million over four years, uh, and that's with a flat salary cap and with him going to a new team. So there's definitely a lot of ways that could be even more than 131 million. But that seems to me kind of like the minimum. Realistic number in free agency. Uh, would you offer him that 113 million over four years on an extension of your Depot, How open would you be to signing it?
1: I would not offer it right now as the Pacers because he just didn't look like the same guy when we've been when we've been able to see Depot and quad injury scare the crap out of me. Like there, I've gone before that like you know Achilles are the big one for me that it's still like it still really really scares me and I need to see full proof of kind of full proof of health before I get there and oh the Oladipo. Even towards the end of the 1920 season that we saw, like that, that wasn't, that wasn't the same guy. And to commit that kind of money a year early is now maybe if you could do it for a year or two and just, you know, kind of like hedge your bets a little bit, I might be a little bit more open to it, but no, I wouldn't do it. Would you?
0: With what I know, no. I mean, look, if he gets back to form where he was pre-injury, you got to bargain. But no, I wouldn't. If you were Oladipo, though, I mean, it's tough to put ourselves in that exact mindset, but – but would you just take that and say, "Hey, you know, I can lock in all this money," or would you gamble that somebody will give you closer to the max in free agency?
1: I wouldn't do it, but I think the primary reason why is not money; it's control. Like this, mm-hmm. this is the whole like the whole Giannis thing. And, and yes, Oladipo and Giannis aren't the same guy. But when you agree to an extension, and Oladipo, he'll be 29 when he hits free agency, uh, assuming he does in 21. You're conceding. The rest of your prime, where you're playing, is a, is totally controlled by people that are not you. And he's, you know, he hasn't made like an ungodly amount of money, but he's made plenty. Like, you know, like he's not, he's not really, he's not going to be suffering at at this point. And if he wants, I will never criticize a player for maximizing their financial, financial stuff. Like this goes back to the whole Carmelo thing for me. It's like, I'll never criticize them for that, but I will if they do that and then complain about losing or something else, (laughs) you know, like get, get into those where you can't, you can't complain about not having your cake and eating it too, but you can Anyway. And so with Oladipo, the way that you make that commitment is if you're if you're happy with that circumstance, if you're happy ceding that control. And the Pacers, it's not the worst place to be. I mean, they're a consistently competitive team. I think that they generally have a good front office. They've they've done reasonably well with coaches, and we'll see how Nate Burdine works out. But. I wouldn't expect them to be a a championship contender anytime soon. I I mean, Oladipo has chosen the state of Indiana before for college, but like, I don't know if there's something else that he values. Maybe that has changed over the course of his adult life. And so for me, it's, it it is more of that. Like if you want anything other than what you have or think that you could, then I would, I would wait to see how it works out. And, you yeah, it's true. He could he could end up losing a ton of money in that deal. And and that is and if that's what's important to him, by all means you could take it. But the idea that a Dallas or a Miami comes calling and potentially you can elevate them into the championship into the championship level, well, you can play with really great players, you could and maybe especially when you think about those two franchises, but he I mean, could go somewhere else too. That they've generally been creative front offices, and they, that you, you know, like that they could be better around you. Whereas, I think we kind of know
0: what the Pacers would be if Oladipo resigns. And look, if, if you want the money, you can always go to the Nixon free agency. Like <laughs> you can be the man and still can get your money. Oh God! If they, they if they, if they
1: sign Oladipo with RJ Barrett and Oladipo not <laughs> the same guy, Oof. oh uh, I
0: mean, it would be very Nick's to, to end up with him if he's not the same guy. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we see this the same way, which is interesting. Just the idea that no, the Pacers probably shouldn't offer that extension, and Oladipo probably won't sign it. And, and so you're a stalemate. You know what I love as an Ola Depot destination though? I think it makes so much sense as a Lakers trade. Uh, you know, maybe they can get just enough to get him uh, because they're already expensive. It's going to be tough to add to this this core. But hey, this is your shot to add another star. Oladipo doesn't work out, you know. Look at, I think we just saw that LeBron Anthony Davis with decent uh, role players, with enough role players who step up can be enough. Like they didn't have a dependable third player. Uh, They had a different guy at different times who was good enough. But Oladipo could be that third star. Like the opportunity to get him. Uh, give up Kyle Kuzma. Give up maybe that you know distant first rounder that they can trade. Uh, and if it goes south, well, you can pivot into twenty twenty one cap space uh, and see what you can do there. Like to me, a uh, Anolitipo Lakers trade is just very intriguing for both sides.
1: The idea of the the downside there, I think, is really is really fascinating because the Lakers can make it work. You know, I, I'm sure Lakers Lakers are people who don't like Danny Green would just say they they already played with like a,
0: a ghost. At that position anyway last year, and I like Danny Green. I I've always been very high on him, and uh, I almost feel that way a little bit.
1: And and so I think then, so from the Lakers' perspective, yeah, I think that's a it's a worthy gamble. Also, the Lakers are so asset poor at the moment that it's hard to think of how they could really overpay. And Kuzma, you know, he's one year away from restricted free agency; he's extension eligible. So that I don't, I, and I think he's a poor fit with with their foundational pieces. Also worth noting, not the same state, but Taylon Horton Tucker is from is uh, from went to Iowa State, and so maybe that is a, a you know like maybe there's some appeal there. I also like the little bit of THT that we got to see, and you know Indiana, it's not it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them to just add a little rotational depth on the wing.
0: But Danny, Danny, the the coastal bias right now. Oh, Iowa, Indiana, whatever. Like, I appreciate going back to the Midwest, it's all the same. I got to tell you. I never said it's all the same. I said they're geographically uh, close. Cause, cause they're geographically, I mean, they're not the farthest or anything, but but what a California comment. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> Iowa, enough. Indiana. Eh. Yeah. Uh,
1: I I will, I will take my medicine there. That is completely fair. You know, you pe-
0: you people who live near LA, I I'll tell you. Yeah.
1: And, and yeah and, and he's he's also should I have said because he's from Chicago he's from Chicago which is which is closer I mean it's, it's close to gear, but, but yeah they're to yeah. yeah but it's like <laughs> but, but yeah but it's like I mean it's it's interesting like with Oladipo also so I like the Lakers I think they could have the confidence that he he would want to come back there is so like yeah, you get to some of those things. Like okay, do we do we want to commit to him now? How how sure we could come? And and a lot of that can happen behind closed doors. It could be you know those those sorts of like agenty conversations. And and in Oladipo's case, that's not tampering because he's aren't like you're not you're not trying to inter, in my opinion you're not interfering with a contract at all. You're just trying to trying to see how he's feeling about things. It's not you're not trying to, you're not trying to get a free agent. Now you might disagree with that, but you know like as long as it's not like hey you force a trade because he can't force a trade to them. I mean Anthony Davis is probably. The closest we've ever come to that specific situation, but I, I'm I'm interested in his in his future and there's a there's another another interesting kind of shooting guard one that's come up a lot um, is, is like and I'm not comparing the two as players at all but there's this like growing kind of sentiment that Buddy Heald is not long for Sacramento but I also have zero idea what in the world a Buddy Heald trade would look like and who would be potentially interested. And so it might be one of those just like awkward circumstances where he's on the team because you can't figure out another way to do it, especially with the new look front office there. So it's not going to be the same situation of like, oh, we'll just – we'll do a bad trade just to get off of him. I don't think it's going to be that.
0: (laughs) No, I I mean I think this is something people overlook a lot. A new front office, like – they want to keep their jobs they're not going to get it if they're just like ah we can't do anything with buddy healed like he's on this contract that's not ideal like we don't want to just dump him like we can't do anything that basically buys them a year uh because they're not the ones who signed him to the contract they can just like push out a decision on an evaluation of the front office's capabilities i also think buddy healed a lot of fans some of these trade ideas i see uh i think people are sleeping on him too much like yeah he had a, a down year he was not as good uh, as expected his contract does look too expensive but he can fit in anywhere i mean a, a guy who shoots like that uh who, who plays with his energy at least offensively uh he's a real easy fit a lot of teams would would love to have somebody like buddy healed and uh, plenty of teams have the contracts to cobble together to put something together as far as matching salaries Uh, I'm not saying he's like the most in-demand player in a trade, but I got to think that the Kings could get a nice positive return for him.
1: It certainly appears that you're more of a healed optimist than me, but I I get the idea. I, I think of healed. I think that my criticisms of him as a, like the player plus contract is the problem, not necessarily player. I agree with you that he could fit a lot of different places. And while he's not a good defender, he plays a position where defense is not paramount. So you could deal with that. Like you can deal with a guy who can, shoot the lights out and not defend at the two. That's okay. Like, you're probably not going to win. You know, it's hard maybe sometimes to win a championship that way, but not that many teams are winning a championship every year. 29 teams aren't. And and probably, honestly, like 23 or 24 don't have a particularly good chance when the season starts. And I I think that Oladipo is also, to me, really striking. Another idea that's been floating around in my head is, you could and this is both a off se- an off season thing and also an in season for because we have so many expiring contracts. Like I've used San Antonio as an example here before. Like you think about the one of the most common trade structures in the NBA is player with expiring contract traded for player with longer contract and then if it's a positive or a negative, you know, assets going one way or the other. And Buddy Healed, like, in many circumstances, could be a natural fit for a lot of those structures because, you know, like he's making twenty he's making twenty-four million, I think, about a year. And if if there's a team that's not really a free agent destination, especially if they're looking beyond next season and then his contract declines, which was a good piece of business for Vladi Divatz, though he shouldn't have assigned the extension in the first place. Uh, I, I think that there could be there could be something like that. And and I think that the, the challenge though will be what teams kind of decide that that is, that that is the right path for them? So, I, it's again, this kind of goes to the idea of optimism, pessimism, realism is not only do you think you're going to be a free agent destination, but like, can you do you think you can do better than Healed? And Harrison Barnes, I think, is honestly in that camp, especially with the kind of the weird log jams that the Kings have, where they, have, they don't have like a ton of good players, but they have a lot of players that overlap with one another. So I, I don't know exactly how that squares up, but I think that you might be right that there's something that comes from it either now or at the deadline.
0: To me, if I'm the Kings, the near ideal trade for Buddy Heald is I'm looking for a bad contract. So I'm going to get value for Heald's on ability, and I'm going to get value for taking on that bad contract. That's a real easy match because I'm sending out Heald's big salary. You know, somebody like Al Horford, right? I don't know what the 76ers would send to entice Sacramento. Like, I think Al Horford's a pretty clearly negative value contract at this point. Uh, but, you know, I'd take on Al Horford. Uh, give up Buddy Heald and get some real nice assets if something like that can be on the table. Yeah, it's interesting. I
1: I think that for me, what makes Horford's contract more palatable, I I think Heald's contract is worse than Horford's. But the reason why is because Horford's is so much shorter and less overall money. Like I think you could be very right that over the course of their contracts, Heald is better. But if you could get out, like it, it sort of gets along with the premise is that if you think Buddy Heald is a positive value contract, then having more Buddy Heald contract isn't as bad of a deal.
0: Yeah, I I'm not saying he's necessarily positive value, but for a team like Philadelphia that's capped out anyway. Uh like I'd rather have Heald than Horford.
1: Yeah, that that's that's an interesting point. And then you could also like I mean, I've thought about this for for various teams. Uh Philly's a good example of that of there's also value for ownership of Getting somebody who maybe they make more in the future, but they make less money right now, and so you can lower lower the tax burden. Like the Warriors might be in that situation with somebody. Like I mean, maybe not Wiggins this year, but at some point in the future, uh, there the, Brooklyn could could be at that juncture at some point. I think Lavert's a positive value contract, but maybe with Torian Prince. Like maybe Torian Prince, you get somebody who's making like seven million a year, but they have a little bit longer contract. That's a huge set of savings for the
0: Nets and the other teams. Like okay, you know we can we can make that work. Uh that'd be a little more palatable if Torian prince were were better uh not a, a lot, a
1: lot of things a lot of things would be more palatable for the next <laughs> um,
0: but to your point like that is a very tradable salary uh, in a lot of different ways that is one of them uh, and to some degree I think they signed that extension just to have the salary on the books to be able to maneuver
1: well and, and thank you for bringing up the salary on the books to be able to maneuver because I think the most fascinating idea of that and I'm not necessarily saying it's like it's true I haven't talked with anybody involved is that was my theory with D'Angelo Russell and the Warriors originally not not with mm-hmm. the Timberwolves they they pretty clearly wanted him and I think we're going to get a much clearer sense over the next let's call it 5 weeks of what of what the theory was behind the Warriors all their machinations over the last year plus because they, you know, the D'Angelo Russell, tr- the D'Angelo Russell acquisition. while well, I disagreed with it. It was justifiable for, f- from their perspective, for a couple of different reasons, and one of them was like having this matching salary. They ended up moving him for Andrew Wiggins, and you could argue the best traded pick obligation beyond this season with the uh, the Timberwolves pick next year, which by ins- I would argue that by virtue of them getting the number one pick, if they actually draft and play that player, that makes it more likely that they're going to be bad because most rookies are negative are negative players. And so that makes the pick more valuable. But so did they do all of this primarily as kind of salary ballast to have somebody for a you know a big money trade, or did they do it because they thought D'Angelo Russell was going to help primarily because he was going to help them, and then Andrew Wiggins kind of checks that same box conceptually?
0: Yeah, um, my take on it was similar to you, that hey, there's some salary here, and I, I think they hoped it would be attached to a more positive value player uh, than and, you know, then, then Russell came out to be, but I think the idea was this is our chance to build up our, our salaries. And I wonder, though, how much are we going to see the theory, uh, especially with the Andrea Iguodala trade exception? Uh, don't you think that it's less likely to get used because of the economic times we're in?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it, especially if it looks like they're not going to be getting the revenue of people being in chase center. Like you own the building, that's great. But if you own the building and nobody's <laughs> allowed to go inside, it's a little bit less great. And they, you know, and, and it's also a question of who is available for that, you know, and, and, I think the the maybe the most interesting identity question of the entire 2020 offseason is not where do the Warriors think they are in the timetable of contention that's a term I've used basically of how how wide is the window you know like how many years down the line is the window conceptually open but how wide is the window right now do they think that last year was a total anomaly and if everybody is back to 100% then it all fits together and they'll be fine but also remember they lost Kevin Durant. Like this isn't the same, this isn't the same team that you could argue would, would have been the favorites. Probably would have won the 2019 championship if they had been healthy, and if the closer they are to that uh, to that confident stance, the more likely they are to use it, even if it ends up being really expensive because you are willing to bite that sort of a bill to have a to have a real championship contender. But what I'm most interested in is if they're if basically if they're wrong. So if they're optimistic and they're wrong, then that team is insanely expensive. And maybe they're a second round exit, maybe a conference finals. And that's not even like a shame. There's just a bunch of talent in the Western conference that is concentrated a lot in top teams. And they, you know, the wing defense is going to be a fundamental challenge for the Warriors this year. Their depth is really not at the same level that it was before with, you know, Livingston retiring and Andre Godala in a different team and everything else. And so I, I think that they're, especially when you consider that the passage of time was not helpful to their star players, even if we were ignoring the injury stuff that, they're probably tier two. And if they're tier two, and I don't think I don't think that getting a fifteen million dollar player is gonna push them to tier one.
0: Steph Curry is thirty two, Draymond Green is thirty, Clay Thompson is thirty. I, I would agree they're a tier two team, I also think the window is right now. Uh Agreed. tier oh, two you- teams win championships all the time. Like that's not the worst place to be. Uh a tier two team, maybe even a tier three team made the finals. Yeah, year, and, and, and could have and chance. could
1: have won the championship if potentially if if they stayed healthier.
0: Right. I mean, uh, to me, the, the window is right now. And you, you know, sure, I, I would be happy to spend the Warriors' owners' money. Like, yeah, it might look bad. It might not be the best investment to have the super expensive team that could very easily lose in the second round. Uh, it's not my money, uh, and I'm also not the one who brags all the time about how much money we make. Like when there was a report about uh, NBA revenues, and I think the Warriors were we're third uh in whatever whoever like was guessing on it because we don't know exactly and uh i think it was uh joe lakeham came i was like no we're we make more money than the the lakers and nicks like if you're going to talk that way well then you got to spend at a time like this um you have this great opportunity you have this exception that can be so helpful uh you know, maybe it won't be exactly as helpful as you'd want it to be. I don't know exactly who who's available, but I guarantee your team will be better next year if you use that exception than if you don't.
1: Have I told you my singer my single favorite potential use
0: of the Iguodala trade exception? You have not, Andre Iguodala. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Uh, it I, is I, a lot. I like more. It's not as fun. I, I like Kelly Oubre.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ubre would be a useful part of the rotation, and the he he would help, but also isn't a significant long term obligation, and the, they would get bird rights on him, so that would be potentially valuable. And yeah, I mean that that is a really interesting one, also because of what what would be going back to Phoenix. So the I think that the Suns are kind of especially, and I mean, this is it's sort of a Wally Pip situation where, but it's also just where the where the Phoenix Suns were going beforehand is that. I I don't think James Jones anticipates that, and probably and probably not Monty Williams either. That Kelly Oubre is starting on the twenty 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 one Suns. I mean, they they we saw what the bubble Suns did, and the combination of Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, who really came on, that that is it makes sense. And like there's, a, there, and I'm not saying that they're going to go eight no, you know, in perpetuity or anything like that. But that means that creates a couple of potential issues for the Suns. I mean, yes, you want to have as much depth, especially at the forward, as you can. But Ubra is an unrestricted free agent after next season. Does he really want to be a backup on a fringe playoff team? Is, is, that, is that what is that what he wants? I, 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 it's possible, certainly possible. And I mean, he's made a, a better career for himself than I've expected at points going back to his time in Washington. But depending on what was going back, like I don't think the number two pick would be involved in that trade or anything like that. And for and the other big potential ripple effect for that for Phoenix is and why why I like it is you mu- I I don't know if you've heard about this like my pie in the sky idea with them is I think Fred Van Vliet is the best fit that they can get with Devin Booker realistically and that would make it a lot more palatable to make that happen because then you can you know then you have the financial flexibility I'm not saying like give him a full max or anything like that but. Van Vliet Booker to me would be nasty.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm not sure that, that there was a fair trade there. Like, I don't know if the Warriors would give give up enough um, because the Suns want to win next season. the same reason you think that Van Vliet would make uh, a lot of sense there, you know, it's helpful to have those multiple forwards. And if Ubre leaves, Oubre leaves. And, you know, it's not the biggest loss or anything. But just because, like you said, those other forwards stepped up in the bubble. And because they could gain some financial flexibility, like if I'm the Warriors, that's a, that's a real appealing player that I think could help me win, that I'd have a chance to keep, uh, who, who's young enough to add a lot of energy for for a team that I think could could use some spark. Like I think he, he checks a lot of boxes that the Warriors should want and should be inquiring. Like if Phoenix wants too much, oh, well, like you don't trade for him. I'm just saying I, they might not want too much.
1: In a different world where he weren't injured so severely, Jeremy Lamb was somebody I had been kind of having in the back of my mind for that potential exception, but now obviously that's totally off the table.
0: A little two-score first for my taste for the, the Warriors, although you know you can, you can use a guy like that, but I, I don't know if he'd be at the top of my list. But yeah, you're right. Injury yeah, takes that off the table.
1: What other teams are most interesting to you? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of angles that are really that are really compelling with this offseason teams that have inflection points. I mean, I actually think of the Bucks offseason as less interesting just because I mean, it's basically you offer Giannis what he did you offer Giannis that he accepts it or he doesn't but he's still going to be on your roster because nobody's that insane.
0: Um I mean, I I guess I find it more interesting. This is an aging roster. Uh like what if they just bring it back next year, do you think they're as good as they were the last couple of years? No. I Me mean, neither. So so, I mean, so what, you, so, what are mean, you gonna do? Just die the slow death uh, and Giannis is gonna leave like or you're gonna hope he's just so loyal to Milwaukee regardless.
1: I I think that they're so Nate's brought this point up well, and it's just the timing of when Giannis is available is that like we saw the absolute King's ransoms that the Thunder and Pelicans got for their superstars. I the problem now is they're just by matter of circumstance, there aren't teams that have that absolute treasure trove. That I think is necessarily available. You could disagree with me if you want to point out a team that, that does get there. And so I just think that the the offers aren't going to be strong enough. I could conceive of a, of, a, of potentially of a, of a worthwhile Giannis trade if, he, if you were very, very confident. But – There are worse things in this world than like they were the they were the best regular season team in the league and they you know they lost in the conference finals last year they lost in the second round to the team that eventually made it to the championship and you know Miami yes their record was disappointing but they were a really good team in the playoffs once they got Goran Dragic to to be back and the development from guys like Taylor Hero and everything else so I think unless it were so abundantly clear that he wasn't coming back. And, and I don't think Giannis is going to say that, but like let's say conceptually, he's like, this is my final season with you. I It's hard for me to ima- imagine it changing. Other than in that circumstance, I think he rolled the dice because he's, you know, you, you've had two corner, like, absolute dead bang megastars in the history of your franchise in... Kareem and Giannis and I think I think to an extent you kind of need To do the Oklahoma City and just
0: let it Let it ride because it's the best chance you're ever going to have Oh, I agree on Giannis himself, but I'm saying I think you got to do something with the rest of that roster. I don't. I only the roster's got. And I'm saying you want to put your best foot forward. So you got some tools here. You have some tradable players. Uh, In theory, you have the ability to pay the luxury tax this year. Like I'm going to be somewhat aggressive in trying to upgrade this roster. I would have been doing that last year. And you know, I think Chris Paul is the absolute perfect fit there. Uh, Exactly what they need. They seem to differ, uh, but some way or some, somehow, I think they've got to be very aggressive in upgrading this roster around Giannis.
1: Yeah, I I think that that ties kind of in with the idea of you you don't get many bites at this apple. And that was part of why I was so critical of the Bucs offseason last year, like you were, was that I didn't think they went aggressively enough. And I've gone after Denver and a few other teams for this. It's like, you never know how long the good times are going to last. And even if ownership is not willing to spend aggressively all the time, and as a practical matter, I understand that now. I'm not accepting it because I think that part of, to me, part of the duty of owning an NBA team is Spending when your team is good enough to warrant it. Like the Bucks obviously were last offseason because they were the best team in the regular season in 1819. But I, I think that you're right that they do they do have this opportunity. And like I think a really telltale indicator there is going to be Ersan Ilyasova, because Ilyasova is not worth the seven million dollars that his non-guaranteed contract is, is tabbed for. But he could be useful in a potential trade. It's like his contract is not so negative that it's that's a huge problem. And because Milwaukee doesn't have a ton of expiring salary. And so that potentially, you know, like let's say you need to combine it with something else. It's good to have it for a player who is, who is expiring because then like let's say George Hill and Ilyasova could be palatable to a different set of teams than like George Hill and Bledsoe, for example.
0: Uh yeah, sure. Uh I'm probably trying to hang on to George Hill. He's he's been a pretty good playoff contributor to me. Bledsoe is the big piece to move. Uh, I think Robin Lopez is going to opt in at five million. To me, he's another trade candidate. Like, sure. yeah, same logic. Uh, yeah, sorry, Brooke. Like, you know, we got we we got you guys together for a year, but now we need to have a, a better team. And, the, and they got so, to
1: spend part of that year at Disney World. I don't think they could have asked for
0: anything more. <laughs> well, it was, it was very tempting for them, I'm sure. Right? They can't enjoy Disney World. That's true. Uh, but they're right there, yeah. Maybe well, yeah, that's why if, they lost. Maybe they were too de- just <laughs> distracted by being so close yet so far. Yeah, and it
1: is a real shame. Uh, so something that I've been thinking about a lot with the Bucks is the challenge that you, you brought up the idea like, are they going to be better next year? And so you were talking about it more in terms of the aging curve and and that you know a lot of a lot of guys sort of like the Warriors where you. It's not a guarantee that when, as you get older that every year is going to be worse, but the expectation is that they're, that they're, that time is not going to make them a better team. And Giannis could still be improving because he's even though he's incredible, but. Bled, Lopez, George Hill, Chris Middleton, you know, all those guys. And they're, you know DiVincenzo and those guys can grow, but I don't think it'll be by as much. But the other huge challenge for the Bucs, which I don't think – and I blame myself as a part of this – that we collectively are paying attention to is it's going to be hard for them to retain some of the important talent. I mean Marvin Williams gave them an element in terms of going mm-hmm. smaller, and he retired, so you're not going <laughs> to bring him back. And then Wes Matthews, I assume that he could that, – that there will be a path. He could opt in or they could resign him using non-bird rights or using part of the mid-level exception, whatever whatever happens there. But then like kind of you could argue the best case scenario for the Bucks without something more aggressive is treading water, and that's scary.
0: Yeah, like I, I- – yeah, I mean they need to get better. Treading water is, is no good. Treading water when you made the conference finals, maybe we can have more of a discussion. But when it's, and you're right, they lost to the team that went to the NBA finals. They also got smoked. Like that was not a close. And they series. were, and they were they getting
1: worked before Giannis got hurt. Like this is yes. it is not a circumstance where you know like going back to that. Clippers Blazers series years ago, where it's like the Clippers were ahead in the series and then everybody on their team got hurt. The Blazers advanced like that is a fundamentally different set of circumstances than what happened to the Bucks. Like they were getting, they were getting beat. And before Giannis, and they would have had a much higher chance of coming back, but I mean, and and they did have some of the disadvantages in terms of not having home court in those early games and everything
0: else, but it still happened. Yeah, they would have had a much uh, higher chance to come back because when you have Giannis, you can make many more adjustments. And we know that the Bucs have made a bunch of adjustments and hit all the right buttons there and completely changed the series instead of just playing the the same way, even with Giannis. Absolutely. Yeah, that that sounds completely, completely accurate to (laughs) me. No, they're, they're a team in a, a tougher spot than I think people realized around Giannis. Like, people understand, oh, Giannis could leave. Like, people get that. But I don't think people quite understand enough of, I'm not saying they're in trouble because, you know, they'd still be pretty good. But expectations have, have risen, right? We're not just talking about, can you win 50 games? Can you make the playoffs? Can you win a playoff series? Like, a, as a team trying to actually make noise deep in the playoffs, they're trending the wrong direction. But they they do have ways to get better. They have... I I don't remember exactly where you were on them last offseason. I I know we both had similar trepidation, but my big thing was, okay, you got this draft pick from the Pacers. If you're going to flip it for a player who can help you win the 2020 championship and you just feel like that's not available right now. okay, right. You're willing to pay the tax later or or do something to, to use that pick later to help you in the 2020 playoffs. OK, they never did. To me, that was the, the biggest problem.
1: Yeah, that was incredibly frustrating. And it also could have been... Yeah, it, it, it might have been more expensive. Like maybe that was a factor in as well. There, there are a couple different reasons why it could happen. And
0: I, I, think, I think the other factor was they just were so fond of their own chemistry that they didn't want to disrupt it. Like, i Marvin Williams. He's a guy who fits into who we are. And yes, that matters. But look, you need to have the requisite amount of talent of playoff players and and you need to be able to have your chemistry handle that. And I had enough faith personally in the Bucks' chemistry. I think Giannis is a great leader. I think that team is full of so many guys who are solid pros, who do the right things, uh, who set good examples, who set a good tone. Like I'm a big believer in their chemistry, maybe even more than they are, because I thought you could have uh, brought in somebody else who doesn't fit quite as cleanly. And had them fit it, like buy into the rest of what everybody else is doing because their culture was so strong.
1: I'm going to give basketball reference ages of pertinent bucks for next season. I think this goes back to the original <laughs> idea that you were talking about. Giannis, 26, Middleton, 29, Bledsoe, 31, Lopez, 32, West Matthews, 34, DiVincenzo, 24, George Hill, 34, Kyle Korver, if he's back, 39, Ersan Yusova, 33. So, yeah, not a lot on the good side of the age curve there. And yeah, maybe DiVincenzo can take a couple of steps forward, but they don't really even have that many young bites of the apple. I mean, Sterling Brown's probably—I think he's probably going to be gone. And uh, DJ Wilson doesn't really have much of a place to be on this team anymore now that they've filled out the center spots. And so— they're getting there. And I, I've had people, you know, I've written a lot about the Bucks over the last six months, as most of us have. And I've had people say they could drop a quarter million, a quarter billion on his on his doorstep, and nobody's going to turn that down. And my answer is, yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think we're absolutely going to see that. Like, maybe not with Giannis, but I, I do think we'll see it with Giannis, but with other guys. And part of it is just that risk takes on a very different tenor when you are as good as he is. Because, and this is, you know, we talked about the ripple effects of Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors in 16. To me, there are going to be some significant ripple effects, if I were an agent, of Kevin Durant signing with the Brooklyn Nets in 2019. And that is... You can have a catastrophic injury if you have proven that you are at that level of player. You can have a catastrophic injury immediately before you become a free agent and still get that money. And so, are you really risking that much financially to go another year? If Giannis, if so, heaven forbid, like as long as it's not something that like affects his life, if it if it's an injury that he will recover from, then I I can't imagine te- that that there would not be a single team in the league that would offer him a four year max
0: next offseason. season. <laughs> There's something we don't talk enough about is how the league moving to shorten the maximum length of contracts has changed things. Yes. Okay. A four year contract for somebody coming off a big injury. I think if it doesn't work, it's four years. It's still a long time, but it's not six years like it used to be. Uh, you know, I mean, it used to be you'd have time to maybe get back on track and get hurt again. I mean, it's so long, and that's for a player leaving. Like four years just isn't that long. That really did shift things so much.
1: It did, and. So, I mean, when people have asked, asked me about it, the thing uh, this gets back to what I was talking about with Victor Olatipo, which is ceding that much control to a team. And so we just, I just rattled through the Bucks' ages. If, if I were advising Giannis, I'd say, are you willing to commit, not necessarily even to the Bucs for those extra five years, but also to whatever they want to do with you? Because you lose all of that control in the process. And so even if he wants to stay in Milwaukee, I would tell him not to sign the designated veteran extension.
0: Oh, I would absolutely also. Uh, I mean, and maybe it's going to get to the point where he, he figures that out, too. I mean, so many things went against the Bucks here. I mean, number one, losing like they did in the second round, exposing all their long-term problems in the process. Uh, number two, the economic downturn, right? Like, this might not be the right time to lock in, right? You might want to sign a short deal just uh even if you plan to stay, sign a, a 1 plus 1 or something and then see what the right year is to lock in and then the other risk for milwaukee is even if that's his mindset his mindset is i want to stay in milwaukee this is just the financially right way to do it gives him another couple years to change his mind because again because of these age things uh, of his supporting cast i just don't think it's trending in the right direction unless they make some bold moves including spending on the luxury tax uh i, ro- I wrote about this uh the other month Giannis's supporting cast Average age thirty point five, and that's in the playoffs. It's waited for playing time. That's the fourth oldest supporting cast an MVP has ever had. Wow! Uh, the, the only ones older: Michael Jordan's Bulls in nineteen ninety eight. Obviously, they were cooked. Uh, Kevin Garnett's Timberwolves in two thousand four when they had Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell. Like they never got back to that level. as was the year they made the Western Conference Finals, uh, but. They did that because they got Cassell and Speedwall and they were playing well on, on the last time those guys were playing at, at that high of a level. That wasn't coming back. And uh LeBron on the two thousand thirteen Heat, uh obviously we saw that, you know, especially with Dwayne Wade, you know, that team was running out of gas a year later. Like Giannis is so young himself. Is this who he wants to to hitch his ride to?
1: Yeah, and and I'm largely of the same mind there. And I and, and so yeah, you and you also like as Giannis, you want that extra year of time just to see how things go. And as you said, like he could easily go back to the Bucks on a one plus one or something like that. Like I'm not saying if he. Sign, if he refuses this extension that he's definitely gone or I'm not advocating for him to leave as distinctly something I have never done and will not do at the moment and probably for a while because the Bucks are damn good yes. is – I won't say – I'm not closing that door obviously. But I, I think that it is, a, it is a very real thing that he needs to consider, which is like where where is this team going from here? And along those lines, how are they going to get better? Because you know they they don't have, they're not going to have good draft picks. They don't have a lot of budding young players. You know, DJ Wilson only has one more year until restricted free agency. Divincenzo could make you know make steps up, but he looks more like he could you know that you're hoping for him as a solid starter, not as a you know a, a, a star teammate or anything like that. And so if if it, if this is the best it's going to be maybe not in terms of your result in the playoffs but like overall team quality and i mean there are a lot of te- there were 29 teams that were worse in the regular season but if that's the high water mark, <laughs> then and, and and you don't expect to repeat that either in the regular season or we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Then and, and the, you know the East could could get strong again and all that. It's like well you could a lot of other teams can make pitches. I'm not saying those pitches are necessarily better, but they can they can make them. And so like then what Toronto's saying? I mean they have Toronto. I I stand by my statement that they have the best front office and the best coach in the NBA. That's a pretty good sales pitch. They have a they have a good team. You could talk about Dallas. You could talk about Miami theoretically. A lot of and these are legitimately good destinations. They're not the same as like the Warriors team that Kevin Durant joined, but they're they're worthy they're worthy of consideration at the bare minimum. And so to me, with Giannis, that's another reason why you don't sign the extension is just to see where things go, just to get a lay of the land and have control.
0: I agree a hundred percent. Uh to play devil's advocate. I guess there's maybe a case to the idea of if he knows he wants to be in Milwaukee, if he knows he's happy there, if he likes it there, you know, he can provide some stability by signing the extension. Yeah. He can make it, you know, uh, he can avoid all the questions of where you're going, of his teammates getting asked about, it, of his teammates talking about, thinking about like it, it might it, it might help the Bucks in that sense. Now, I would argue that well if you do that you know who knows when or how long they'll pay the luxury tax like you can do more by by holding that threat that you could leave uh, enforcing ownerships hand more uh, because I don't trust them to to spend like you can't just sign it on the promise that they'll spend
1: yeah and I think that's kind of the Damien Lillard theory of the case which is you you're happy where you want to be and you you even if things it's not going to be everything that you always dreamed it would be that it's you're it's a very good spot and so you do it But I think there's a fundamental difference between Lillard and Giannis, and it gets into a through line that you and I have both talked about in in our careers of how the collective bargaining agreement and its various iterations has worked, which is the unintended consequence. And so in this case, with designated veteran extensions and contracts, we've seen – players take more agency in recent time. And and that matters more at the absolute top. You know, that's the those players who have more income assurance. And you could say that the inflection point here is where the max is, a, is an artificial limitation. You know, it's like there are some players who, like Otto Porter is probably an example here of like, yeah, he got his maximum, but well, first of all, it was probably a little bit more, but like, you know, like he, if even if the if if the max was double the like if it was sixty percent of the cap, he would have gotten about that but there's this group of players who you know it negatively impacts also oftentimes those players have significant other forms of of income that can be endorsements or whatever else and I think that why they're the inflection point is that they don't have the same concept of risk as as another player and so What has happened is, you know, and and there are obviously great players that have taken that have taken the designated veteran, James Harden being one, Steph Curry being another. But you also see it more often, if it's on the table at all, for the players who, you know, it might end up not being as good. Lillard is probably at the, like, the crux there. I mean, he was second-team All-NBA for me last year, so that would clearly be worth it. But where is he going moving forward? But then it's the John Wall, the, you know, like, the the players of that year, ilk, who technically qualify, but you don't necessarily want. And they're the ones who are going to take it if you offer it.
0: Well, so just a. I mean, this was true in the most explicit sense with Lillard and Giannis, which is where I thought you were going, is uh, Lillard had it uh, – he was eligible for this extension. There was no guarantee he'd ever be eligible again. Right. Uh, Giannis, we already know, will be eligible either for the extension or in free agency next year. He can get the Supermax. Uh, Lillard couldn't have necessarily waited. So a big difference there. Yeah, that's but a great But it gets point. to what you're talking about, about the idea of marginal players – I've asked a lot of players, you know, to, who are in position to maybe get the max. like, does this mean something to you? And I know it's, like, uncouth to talk about money a little bit. Maybe that's some degree of why I've gotten this answer. But they've all said, you know, it doesn't matter to me. It's not important to me. Uh, I don't know if that's 100% true or not. I don't know. I Like, have you ever heard a player say this was important to him? And the guy, one of the guys I really want to ask about this after the fact is ask Damian Lillard, like, you know, if the Supermax didn't exist, do you th- see your career having gone differently? Like, do you, do you think if you can only get a smaller extension from the Trailblazers for the regular Max, you wouldn't have signed it if that's all that existed? Like, did this swing thing? So, the whole point of it was supposed to swing it for guys to either stay with their team or at least let their team know. In advance, I don't know how many players it's swinging it for. Yeah, that could, that
1: could very well be the case. And um, the last—I mean, we can go wherever you want to go, but the last thing I want to talk about, I, the the line in the sand, kind of if you want to call it that, that I'm going to be most interested in for this 2020 offseason is, is extensions. So. Mm-hmm. We talked about Oladipo a little bit earlier, but there are guys at a lot of different levels here, like Donovan Mitchell, Gary Trent Jr., who's only eligible for the lower one because he was a second-round pick, and OG and Well, Ananobi's kind of a different case because of the Raptors' situ- situation. But, like, how risk-averse are these players? What kind of What kind of offers does it seem like are on the table? Do we see guys, because of, like, the downturn and everything, take a lot less? Because generally, I mean... You've been, you've been a great negotiator of these extension contracts for years. Like you have more, kind of more experience in the abstract in this than almost anybody. And. (laughs) But there are also a lot of veteran extension candidates that are really challenging too. And so – and a lot of players who are extension eligible and maybe if they're being more pragmatic about where their career is going, like you might want to lock up the money now and could could get in there. And so I, I'm just absolutely fascinated to see what deals happen, what deals don't, and what are the terms.
0: Yeah, Um I wonder if we'll see some like Iguadala with the heat where it was okay, just one extra year, sure, like it's not a huge or Joe risk Ingles. On either side, yeah, yeah, um, but I also just think, as a great way to put it, the siren song of twenty twenty one free agency, like i I think teams are are gonna be cautious, like it's always fun to imagine that you're gonna be the team that's gonna land this star free agent and transform your franchise. And I think teams will be hesitant uh, to do anything to take that off the table.
1: There is another big reason, and this is another part of the piece when it comes out that that is, is there is the, the kind of the the third reason why you know I'll go through that I did we didn't talk about the second one but it's in the piece um, is it's also a great cover for teams that want to save money this year and there will be some very real some very real financial straits that will be happening and also teams that just don't want to make those long term commitments right now and if they say oh, we're so interested in what's coming and they can sell the fan base on the future and go where where it's going. And then at that point, if it ends up not happening, people aren't going to go back and say, oh, you could have signed Player X for the mid-level exception for two years and you didn't. It's only people <laughs> like like us that do that. And like look at those kind of more narrow opportunity costs. And so... I am imagining in certain circumstances that 2021 can be a, a stalking horse, kind of, for other motivations because it's more palatable to talk about than the other motivations.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for uh, not contending teams. Like I think with the Mavericks, uh, after their championship, I think it was pretty widespread, people talking about, oh you know, you didn't resign any of these guys because you wanted to make a splash in free agency and never did. And, you know, you really blew your chance to stay in title contention. I don't know if that's a fair argument. It was also somewhat an older team. Like, I don't know if it could have stayed on that level. But I do think once you get that far, people will criticize you for it.
1: Yeah, that's true. And Dallas, again, in this time, could end up being a team that that really matters for it because they, you know, so my idea um, for Dallas has been, depending on who you know and again it's always who's available what offers are on the table all that kind of fun stuff but like i actually think they could be ben- they could benefit from rolling the dice and if the right player wants to take the MLE for them for multiple years you do that and then you just think the the law of the universe in the NBA is if you have to clear money, you can. Like, there are various examples of this in the past. I mean, you could go to the Heat with Jimmy Butler. You could go to, which that went through like three iterations before it okay. actually ended up happening. The Warriors for KD, um, some of the stuff with LeBron and Cleveland that time, and Anthony Davis going to the Lakers. You know, like, you can move heaven and earth to get there. And if it, and especially because the Mavericks can't sign somebody for more than like nine, 10 million a year, like, it is impossible for them to do so. So I think that some of those teams I think should should roll those dice, but it is a challenging thing. And like and I think Miami's probably gonna be the most zealous on this approach, partially because of the bird rights that they wield. So like Miami, they have the capacity to just give Goran Dragic, potentially Jay Crowder if he wants it, just a bunch of money for next season and then just no guaranteed money after that. And it kind of sounds like that's where they're gonna go, which is totally fine.
0: Yeah, so here's my somewhat counter to the idea. It's always easy to move money if you have to, especially for, so. One for Dallas, they've already got Dwight Powell looking like a not great contract. Yes, uh, so you already got the one you got to move. Do you want to have risk a second one? You might have to move. And here's the other thing: we don't know how often it comes up that a free agent would be interested in a team. but kind of scopes out, okay, well, to open the cap space, yeah, I know you could make a move, but what would you have to give up? Like, oh, well, you're going to be down those assets because you have to give up that to to open space for me. Like, ah, that's not quite as appealing. And so they don't sign there. We don't really hear about those cases. Now, I do think you're right. I do think a lot of times free agents don't really think on that level. They think about, yeah, this is a team I want to join. These are the main pieces uh, that they have, and that's what I want to be a part of. You know, Whether that could be coach ownership city location uh key players on the team who definitely aren't getting moved like a lot goes into it uh but i bet at least sometimes on the margins there there's a player who would have gone to a team if they didn't have to surrender an extra first rounder or, or a couple even first rounders to to clear cap space and they say man we're going to be kind of locked in and yeah that doesn't look quite as appealing as my second best option
1: yeah that's a really good point uh, anything else that you're thinking about looking forward to that you want to talk about
0: um i mean i'm just curious uh, these teams with cap space how quickly do they want to win i think that's going to dictate so much of how this offseason goes um, yeah i mean you know, De- this- detroit and charlotte like what are they yeah. going to do in well, new york yeah and sure. atlanta i mean all of them uh are, are the types of teams that you can very easily see saying we want to be better sooner uh we're not going to be patient uh, right or wrong i mean it depends on what's on the table there whether that's a good plan or not but Uh, Or you could potentially see them all remaining pretty patient. Uh, And that's going to swing so much of of how this offseason goes. But only so much because it's beyond like Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, who are going to be staying with their current teams on big contracts. Like not the biggest free agent class. Not like a landscaping, landscape shifting thing. Yeah. As much as I love Christian Wood, that isn't really what he is. Maybe. Uh, uh, Christian Wood has... It has performed well in every role he's ever had as a professional. That's uh, true. Minor league, uh, NBA, any several teams. Oh, like,
1: I, I've got I've got one other one other angle on this briefly. Is there's this collection of players? Ibaka and Gasol are probably the best example who have made a lot of money in their careers and are free agents. And like, basically, what do they want? I mean, Ibaka could easily yep. go back to the Raptors on a one year deal. Gasol could do the same. Gasol might end up being in Europe for a year or the rest of his career. And you know, those type of guys and Gallinari too. Like basically, none of them are going to get exactly what they want. So, what piece of this do they sacrifice?
0: Yeah, it's it's like the exact parallel of these teams with cap space. You know, there's not this perfect young player who fits into exactly what you're doing, who you can go sign, except for maybe Christian Wood. Like he's the one who maybe, 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 but otherwise, no. Like, are, are you going to get an older player and maybe uh, lower your your ceiling down the road a little bit? And try and raise your floor now And it's the exact, that's a great point with these players And it, it's just gonna, it's gonna come down to What each of them wants And that's so tough to tell from the outside Because there are all kinds of smoke screens And uh, they don't always tell graphic. And, and it. And it comes down to an inflection point somewhere, right? Like, the, the Hawks might want to accelerate their rebuild They might really be about that And then it comes down to it and no good free agents are interested in them unless they're way, way overpaying the Hawks. It's not worth it. Even though this is generally what we want, it's just not quite worth it. So we'll stick with a patient approach. I mean, who who knows where those exact inflection points are?
1: Right. And which players are going to are going to attempt it? Because I think we'll see a lot of guys, you know, pick up their player options and, and take themselves out of the pool that would actually be the my kind of my favorite crazy thing that could happen would be like if gordon hayward opts out or like one of one of those like really weird ones and you're like oh what's on the table
0: uh, like Al Horford last year,
1: like Al Horford last year, yeah. And so I, I'm very interested in in where those like because I think there will be something like that. I don't know exactly what it will be. Um, and also, I think the, so. One last one because you and I haven't talked about this is internal versus external leverage in a few specific cases. So like Cantavius Caldwell Pope and Davis Bertans are probably the two best of the this year. like or Joe and Joe Harris. Sorry, I can't forget him. He's the he's the other big one. Which is like actually Harris is better than Bertans for this. Which is their teams. Can't replace them and they they matter, they 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 make their teams better and their teams have lofty expectations. In the Lakers case, they actually already did it, so but it's it's hard to see exactly where like so. If, if KCP is asking for let's say 15 million a year, maybe even higher than that,
0: what's Danny Green's salary? Yeah, <laughs> I have a hunch that'll come up in negotiations.
1: Yeah, exactly. And for and for Joe Harris, it's like you know, he can throw out a number, but if nobody else who has like has money is really that interested in you and maybe I think this is why the Hawks are going to be particularly relevant, especially if they want to get better but like basically, how much can those guys squeeze and that's why this is the one, why the KCP one is more interesting to me is because the last time the Lakers got squeezed, Rob Polinka gave up everything and it worked out reasonably well for the Lakers. They won the championship and everything else. so he has a negotiation where it's like the player has a lot of leverage, doesn't have everything in the world where does where do the terms end up?
0: yeah um i mean i I throw marcus morris in there as one more montrez harrell uh you know there are going to be plenty of others yeah it's it's interesting because we're getting back toward normal right it used to be normal that we could say who the teams were with cap space rather than say the teams that didn't have cap space and when that happens uh more often like yeah sometimes free agents just have to press their internal leverage and uh kcp has an agent who, this is what he does. Like, this is his playbook. Uh, for better or worse, and it's often for better, he's going to press that internal leverage. Uh, and he'll wait until he gets the contract he wants from the Lakers. Uh, maybe if there's something else out there, uh, he could jump at that. But if not, he will press the Lakers on it, and it's going to be who blinks. And I just have a hunch that the Lakers are not going to want to play hardball with LeBron James's agent.
1: I-, I would agree. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk, ProBasketballTalk.nbcSports.com, and of course you can follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA Love having him on, and love talking to Dan because he helps me get my mind around the offseason, which is a really challenging one in, in certain respects this year. Like part of me is like, oh, it's going to be really, it's going to be really tame. It's going to be kind of quiet. But then you also see as we talked about the potential for larger scale change. Like if teams really want to push in that direction and I'm still trying to piece together, you know, how I feel about every team. Also, if you want to listen to that, uh, Nate and I are doing that on dunked on prime. We're going through every team's, you know, we're doing off season previews and of course my written work at the athletic, I've done all 30 as well, but really kind of bridging those gaps and doing the short term and the long term. And especially now that just about all the coaching situations are settled, getting a little bit of a better idea of that, if you want to support the show, there are a lot of ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, whether that's Spotify or Apple, anything. It's really appreciated. Also, word of mouth, very useful way for other people to find the show, single episode, or if you like to think somebody's going to like the whole series, then that's great. And, of course, leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player for choosing. That can be a big help as well. Again, helping people find the show. If you have any feedback on Real Jam Radio, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to reach me. Twitter is too ephemeral, uh, so if but if you send it there, it goes to a dedicated spot within my inbox, and I will read it. I will try to respond. I'm not the greatest at that, but I read everything, end of the day. It's just like, it's a par- it's a habit for me, and that's how I can promise that if you send it, I will read it, because I don't want to waste your time. We will be back next week, Um, lining up a guest. I think I know who it's going to be, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, But I can't make any promises. You guys know my policy here. I don't do that until it is in the books. But lots going on right now, and uh, hopefully you can check out my work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, still going on strong, The Athletic, all my written work, and now I get to branch into non-off-season preview work. I actually started work on three separate pieces over the last four days, and as long as I can get myself to finishing those in the next little bit, then those will all be out as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.